Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of The Gaming Podcast, the official podcast of Gaming Magazine. That was a really energetic start, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> you can check out more from Gaming Magazine by visiting GamingMag.com. I'm obviously three coffees in. And remember, new episodes of The Gaming Podcast come out every two weeks. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Please click subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Later in the show, I'm going to be joined by the co-founder of a new tech service for the personal and career development of gamers, David Barry. But first, to talk about some hot gaming tea, I'm joined this week by Matt Cameron. Hello, hello. Welcome. Thanks. I'm, I'm, yeah, I apologize in advance. That was a very energetic start to the show. <laughs> we're, 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 bo- we're both flagging today. Like, this we've is got a lot. Be, <laughs> like, post UK heatwave, uh, oh, yeah. we're all just like f- flopping in chairs, melting. Yeah, the UK is not built for heat. Just for American listeners out there, we've been living through sort of like 90 degree heat in a country where all our houses are built for insulation to keep us warm um, and we don't have air conditioning. So we've been melting into small puddles in the corner uh, for the past two weeks and not sleeping and anything else. So I think I'm on a combination of zombie slash coffee. Um, and uh, and I, I, I don't know what you're on. Um, you can share that if you if it's not too illicit. or <laughs> Just the, the fine cut Colombian cocaine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not. I mean, like unless like Pepsi Max counts got as that. Some. No, I'm joking. <laughs> right. Uh, enough of this gay banter. Um, I this week. Okay, so I'm. There's obviously been some big stuff in the news. Normally we talk about some big topics. This I think is actually a big topic, and it's Fortnite. It's what the hell has happened because in the space of this week, Fortnite has disappeared off of the Apple Store and the Google Store, um, basically because. They tried to offer a discount to players on their in-game currency, uh, but only if the players went to the Epic Games store to buy said currency rather than using uh, the on-platform kind of Apple or Google payment systems, which is incredibly against uh, agreements with Apple and Google. And hours later, they they pulled them from both uh, app stores. Well, the, the interesting thing there is that it, it may not be against uh, the terms and conditions because there's a potential loophole on uh, certainly the App Store. Uh, I don't know about the Google Play Store, but if you're buying something that you can use off Apple's infrastructure, uh, I believe it's permittable to direct payments elsewhere. Um, what Epic sell are V-Bucks, like an in-game currency to use in Fortnite. But because a Fortnite account is cross-platform, you could be buying them on your phone, but then spending them or using them when you go and play Fortnite on your computer mm. or your console. I, I believe that's the grounds for So the Epic. argument is that it's not, because it's not an Apple exclusive or not a Google exclusive, it's not like us buying coins in the highly addictive mobile games that exist um that you ever end up having to spend thousands of pounds on just to get through the level Mm. um this is the whole concept of you can you should be able to buy that and transfer it across to your other platforms therefore why are they giving them money their 30 percent share to one platform whereas other platforms are missing out in a way to an extent the the interesting um 
financial breakdown of it, I guess, is that if if you bought, I, I think it's a thousand V bucks, um, that's nine dollars ninety nine, and presumably regional equivalent. Um, if you buy it as an in app purchase through Apple's payment structure, um, if you paid Epic directly, uh, you would get a thousand V bucks for seven dollars ninety nine. Um, so the user saves two dollars, but Epic actually makes a dollar more because they're not giving three dollars yeah. of that ten dollars to Apple. Um, obviously, Apple's not happy with this. Google's not happy with this because they're losing their cut on it. It's particularly interesting though that they pulled this uh, kind of corporate baller move right after Apple's antitrust hearings in the U.S. Yes, that's that's an interesting sort of step, isn't it? And and I think it was um, th- they were obviously ready for a fight because uh, the second that Apple took it down, they then released that weird 1984 kind of inspired video. Yeah, the one they're calling 1980 Fortnite. And uh, yeah. I think we really need to discuss, like at, at a a business level, at a propaganda level, the whole thing is really gross on either side this is basically a battle between two multi-billion dollar corporations trying to leverage their respective fan bases against the other like there's no good guy here yeah to get behind this this is corporate fanboying at best absolutely i mean this is yeah this is it's obviously been prepared for it's obviously something that uh is ugly and they were expecting it to get ugly quickly um the fact that they did it straight after uh tim cook was up in front of the house judiciary panel um i thought was obviously kind of uh positioned it, it's it, premeditated it, it yeah. stinks the, yeah the whole thing just stinks and unfortunately and I think once again gamers are stuck in the middle yeah but i, th- I think from if, if you look at the user base of Fortnite, which does skew younger it it feels even skeezier on Epic's part the way in which they're trying to politicize this. Mm. In terms of business practices, they very well may have uh, a case, and you know, there are lawsuits going back and forth about this, which will pan out in presumably dramatic fashion. But the way in which they've tried to kind of leverage their overwhelmingly young player player base in what's essentially a corporate grudge match is is really uncomfortable and yeah and i think the fact that it's it's inherently a younger demographic that's caught in the middle of this um i think is yeah it's it's very sour um because i think what's interesting is that they i believe the sort of the disagreements all boiled out of the fact that there are certain uh, workarounds that Apple particularly have allowed, for example, with Amazon Prime Video, where normally you should be able to buy those things in-app, but obviously they don't, and Amazon have chosen not to because they don't want Apple having 30% of their share of everything. Um, But Apple have obviously been happy enough to let them do that because they they actually voluntarily sort of help you bounce off the app to go to the website to buy it to come back to the app again 
So they, they, they obviously set that up as a thing. Um, that and one of the things that came out of the um, antitrust hearings was that uh, certain subscription services were um, having a 15% cut mm. taken by Apple rather than the, the standard 30%. And Apple's argument for for year, like nearly a decade now has always been uh, we charge 30% to you know, all developers irrespective. And now there's evidence that actually... Yeah. They, they don't. And it's interesting when they sort of said, I mean, this is all just, it, the, the more you sort of read about it, the more messy it gets. But um, this whole thing about sort of like, I think Apple, particularly with, uh, Tim Cook, was sort of saying, no, we, we never retaliate against anybody going public. And then Epic went public and Apple <laughs> Apple were very aggressively retaliated. Yeah. Um, no. The, it, it, the, there's also, a, a, for what Epic wants, it creates potentially security holes in um mobile infrastructure is one of the things that people don't really talk about enough when reflecting on like how drastically the iphone changed uh mobile computing effectively um it is the app store and having that locked ecosystem where you know, you can't get spammy apps that access all your information and sell your data on illicitly or try and entice you to um buy needless upgrades in the way that say the early windows pc uh software ecosystem used to um apple's kind of locked ecosystem for what was a, a new category of computing really added some security if you start dismantling that it becomes a, a a lot riskier what people can be falling prey to with the it device goes, that they've got with them all the time and, and i know that google have been doing a lot of work on that recently but it goes back to the sort of early android days doesn't it where hmm. anyone can dump an app on the app store pretty much um and there were some shady ass things on that app store at times on, on the google play store on the google yes yeah yes on the, on, um yeah. so like i'm an android user personally and for me it's because I, I like being able to do more with the device itself and not have everything rigidly locked down in terms of how i use the software but it's interesting that the google play store has moved a bit closer to the app store model where things are a lot more restricted in terms of what gets on there it's still a lot more laissez-faire than apple is mm. but um but they, they've made moves towards security and if epics uh push to i guess to deregulate that security um were to become more successful you would see a lot more spam and malware filtering on and this comes back full circle to what you said earlier about the fact that epic should be responsible because their game is targeting that sort of younger demographic so surely working in an environment that is more secure more locked down more controlled um is a good thing i mean we always we always hear these stories about how sort of kids have managed to rack up tens of thousands of pounds of of purchases on their phone because as we know purchasing by mobile these days um, unless you have certain restrictions on, you can you can sit happily clicking away, buy 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 buy, and you only need the parent to approve it once, and they're off. Mm. So, yeah. 
actually, I think this is, it, it's a very risky kind of business. The fact that I just don't think they're taking responsibility for anything really. And I think that my fear is, is that very uh, impressionable people, vulnerable people are going to get caught up in the middle of a political bun fight that they didn't really want to be in the middle of. Yeah, very much so. I think th there's also another angle f um, being here in Europe or, you know, formally for the UK, but uh, the, the EU is uh, is rapidly becoming kind of like the the go-to regulator for big tech, and they're separately looking at Apple's, um, and I believe Google's, uh, payment and uh, app stores infrastructures. Um, that could have ramifications on how uh, open or closed those systems are allowed to be going forward. Mm. This whole thing, th thing is really interesting, and it's obviously a for what should be a ten minute conversation. It's obviously we're just we're just sort of scratching the surface and basically sort of saying to people like this is happening. But I mean, I'm I'm sat here wondering. I mean, is this potentially going to change the relationship of mobile games with platforms going forward? I mean, look, there are there are companies out there, mobile games companies that are worth billions and billions of dollars because they are used to a very set business model where people pay for their in-app purchases. And I think if this is a sliding sort of problem now of are they going to take this offline? Are our mobile companies going to try and take more control maybe over games companies? It, I think suddenly the world might be a little bit more uh, opaque. Yeah, very much so. Um, the, the presence of... Um Chinese companies like Tencent in uh, either the development or the ownership of a lot of games is uh, is another factor as well because yeah. Uh, yeah, they they will want to leverage their own corporate power when it comes to how games are monetized, distributed, sold, played, used. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it's this is going to be an interesting sort of phase, I think, as we head into uh, this next round almost on this next phase by use phased already but whatever uh this next uh development of mobile games i think it is going to be an interesting thing particularly as we move into a more connected online kind of network of games as well where uh i might be playing on my xbox cloud um and then pick it up and go somewhere else and then sit back down on my sofa i want my purchases to follow me around mm. I, I don't, I, I don't want to keep paying for random things on different platforms uh but that in itself of course um, comes with its own unique set of challenges as being proven by Fortnite. Yeah. I, so, I do wonder, I, I, just touching again on the that streaming gaming front, mm. I, I do wonder how much, as that takes off and evolves as a, a service category, how much that's going to change what we perceive as mobile games. Like, if you can play at a reasonably competent level, a, a you know, air quotes, you know, proper console game on your phone with a, a a real controller synced up to it over Bluetooth. I would suspect that's going to become a lot more popular for a lot more people than yet another match three or yet another like swiping puzzle. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it. This is really the next sort of stage, and I'm sure that I'm sure that the existing kind of match threes or, or whatever else are still sort of going to have their relevance. I think that the older demographic particularly that tend to sort of um, go towards that. But absolutely, as we start to see these whole sort of idea that mobile phones can be mounted on controllers and you can literally walk around playing a console quality game 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all sort of pans out, really. Right, now, we couldn't bring Matt onto the podcast without talking about the world of comics at some point. Um, I, uh, I, I wanted... fear I'm getting typecast now. You are being typecast, oh, okay. uh, and you do it very well. Um, yes. Particularly, of course, I'm going to give a small shout out to your comic corner. Um, Thank you. That's our, 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 our weekly feature on gaming. Now, um, the news this week around uh, Shia LaBeouf. And this Shia is the beef. Shia the beef. Um, Mr. The Beef. He, this is this is a rumor that I I don't think you can hold much against, but it it's another one of these things where uh, for the people that haven't read it, so Shia um, has been suggested as a potential sort of person to cast uh, for as Iceman uh, in the inevitable reboots uh, and reintroductions or introductions, I should say, of the X Men franchise into the main Marvel universe since that disney bought out fox marvel and cinematic universe specifically marvel cinematic universe specifically yes although who knows who knows now the disney plus and everything um this reignites the usual debate around straight people playing gay roles and wherever you fall in that spectrum i think we can all agree that she <laughs> that she and labeef is the wrong choice for anything uh that's my own personal well, it, interestingly he's also been rumored for ages as playing moon knight who um for, for anyone unfamiliar is kind of like marvel's anti-batman uh he fights crime at night wearing an all-white costume um but he's but got that doesn't sound overly intelligent <laughs> he's got a uh, multiple uh personalities and i think oh, so type so they're typecasting him then <laughs> well um so like the, the, one of his personalities is um uh a mercenary uh one is a cab driver one is moon knight himself um and uh i believe they they introduced a fourth kind of uh identity in one of the more recent runs of the comic but uh i haven't read that so uh i'm not entirely familiar but uh i i could see sheer the bit i should stop saying that <laughs> sheer labeouf uh playing mark Spector, moon knight um quite well actually iceman i mean if nothing else i think he's too old for the role because marvel typically likes when they're introducing a new character to cast young you know they want these ca these actors locked in for a decade's worth of films and yeah if, they, yeah absolutely they, they want them there for 10 years yeah um, and iceman is meant to be the youngest of the original x-men yeah absolutely so and, and, and i think you don't really want yeah, to be bringing a, in a like a guy in his mid-30s i guess i don't know how I, how old she the i she don't pay attention to LaBeouf. i don't she pay LaBeouf is uh 34 so oh, well too, too i i'm gonna say too old to play iceman Absolutely, regardless of whether he's gay, straight, or otherwise. However, I'm going to get back onto the gay rant again because way, way, way too long. I mean, this, this is Scarlett Johansson all round again, but this is way too long and wet for way too long. There's been uh, too many times that good, talented LGBTQ actors get looked over because they want to do a stunt casting. And it's not just obviously LGBT regarding the sort of obviously the Scarlett Johansson thing. It's about that's about Asian erasure or um race erasure or anything it, or whitewashing as we like to call it but i i just think it, it's race bending yeah okay um which is 
basically for me, just like there's better, you can you can cast better. And it's not even the fact I don't like Shia LaBeouf. It is just genuinely, you can do better. Particularly Iceman, particularly the history that, in comics, particularly the history that he's got, obviously, and the sort of the, the importance that Iceman has in, in the comics to the LGBT world, that surely is one that you have to protect. Yeah, I am I have scepticism that uh, DC... Sorry, I'll, start that, I'll say that again. I have scepticism that Disney would uh, be terribly reliable on that front because they, they recently cast um, Jack Whitehall uh, as a gay character for oh, their... Um, I don't uh, think it's ever going to see the light of day, the Jungle Cruise. That's it, Jungle Cruise. I was like, Jungle film? That, <laughs> that, that got filmed like about 20 years ago now, it feels like. Um, yeah. even, even pre-pandemic, it had been filmed and they were waiting for like a year to release it. And then now this has come along. This is going to end up on the same pile as uh, New Mutants and potentially Black Widow, which is it's just going to get dumped onto Disney Plus at some point. Um, and it's just going to happen and people are going to forget about it. Um, and I, I just sort of, yeah. That, but you're right. That, that's a great example because um, they cast him, a cast a straight person, for those who don't know, um, to play an exceptionally effeminate gay man. Camp gay yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, real stereotype. I I think that's yeah. what made that so offensive. It, it wasn't yes. just the, <laughs> yes. the 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 straight washing. It was casting a a straight actor to play the most cliched interpretation of a gay man yeah. you can imagine. And they kind of went all in on both fronts. Like yeah. let's be let's be offensive both ways. Like yeah. we'll do high camp and get someone straight to do it. Yeah. It's yeah. So okay, but equally and, and there's also the, the other example of the Love Simon spin-off that was meant to be coming to Disney Plus but it, they they nudged it over to Hulu. Oh, because it was uh a little too, bit too gay. A bit bit too quote unquote mature for uh Disney Plus. So it's going to be interesting obviously with X-Men obviously I, I hope they kind of stick to the rough path that the last lot trod in terms of it was family orientated but it certainly didn't pull too many punches occasionally with some of the violence um and i think if that's the case they could always that they could shoot for a 12a um and i would hope that somebody somewhere sort of grabs them by the scruff of the neck and says look you've got to do this character right and we can't ignore it it's too big a character to ignore and why would you it's a great example to, to sort of strive off in that right direction mm. um so on so that note Yes. Go on. No, no, go on. Uh, I, I think we're both going to say the same thing here. Like, who would you cast? What do I have for dinner? Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who would who would you or who would I cast uh, as Iceman? So obviously the rules we're sticking to are LGBTQ, basically. Um, Iceman, obviously, we're going to stay in gender, um, uh, but not. I'm. I've got some wild cards, but I'm going to open. And I think it's I think it's on your list, but I'm going to claim it um, <laughs> because my opening gambit is gambit. My opening suggestion is uh, Scott Evans, uh, Chris Evans, aka Chris, Captain yes, America's exactly. brother, Cra Captain America's gay brother. Um, great way of staying in the family. Um, and imagine the crossovers. Yes, hopefully they don't have to sort of have some awkward thing where uh, he has to check out Captain America's ass of America or whatever it's called. Um, because that could get a bit. That, that, I mean, that is America's ass. It is America's ass. Uh, that's my that's my opening gambit. And obviously, Chris, um, he's uh, best known for being on Grace and Frankie, 
Um, and he's also on an ABC daytime soap, One Life to Live, apparently. Not that I've ever watched that. But he's proudly out. He's uh, a great guy. I think he's got that kind of superhero look to him. It obviously runs in the family of good genes from superhero point of view. Um, that's my opening gambit. So, yeah, Scott Evans was provisionally on my list, but I'm going to rule him out for the same reason as Shia LaBeouf. He's 37 yeah, later this year. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, again, good genes. Yeah. Looks fantastic. Yeah. But if they're casting young and they want Iceman in the franchise yep. and they want him as, you know, in continuity to the comics as possible, he's, he's mm-hmm. got to be the, the youngest of the original lineup. And 36, as Scott Evans is now, 37 at least by the time they start filming. It's too old to play the youngest X-Men. Interesting. You'll go. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll go with my, my throwaway uh, pick first as well. Um, okay. So Sean Ashmore... And I'm immediately going to discount Literally him. Literally breaking the rules. Yeah, but uh, I just think it's particularly interesting. So he, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, played Iceman in the existing Fox movies, which immediately rules him out anyway. Like They're, they're not going to recast anybody from the Fox X-verse. But uh, he was saying when the character was outed in the comics, he would be very interested in playing the character as coming out in the films so I, I think he at least helped put that seed of the idea out there that Iceman can be gay in the films as well yeah um I have a massive spot, soft spot which occasionally becomes a hard spot for Sean Ashmore um however yes you're absolutely right I think it's uh I think he's a straight uh but b again just runs that whole too old and too foxy yeah. <laughs> too foxy <laughs> Whatever. Um, the other kind of foxy. Yes, the other kind of foxy. Um, I would like to propose uh, Garrett Clayton. I do not know who that is. Cool. So he is. Um, he's a, he's a, actually he's a product of uh, Disney Channel movies. So <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's like the product of genetic engineering or something. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he is like, like a, a lab-grown twink. I, I, well, he's definitely a twink, um, <laughs> which which obviously fits the. Uh, fits the Iceman bill quite well because let's be honest he's a real twink um he's 29 but he doesn't look 29 he looks about 10 um but he's come up through the whole sort of Disney thing so I think he's very known to um them he he actually played uh, the lead on uh Hairspray Live that was on Fox as well so he's got Fox connections um I just think he's I think he's got enough skill set he's got the looks he's got uh the sort of the the superhero-esque kind of body that wouldn't take too much work to sort of get real superhero body um and yeah that's that's my sort of suggestion again he's 29 but he doesn't look it so there might be some flexibility there um my next one again probably a little bit too old certainly by the time they'd get around to film filming anything but he has already sort of thrown his hat into the ring, as it were. Uh, Colton Haynes, who uh, is perhaps mm. best known for playing Roy Harper slash Arsenal on mm-hmm. Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, he is 32, makes, though. He's 32 now. Um, so, again, probably a bit too old to play the youngest X-Man by the time they started shooting. You could get away with 25, I think. 
I think looks, so. I mean he he doesn't he look thirty two. Yeah, he was playing mid twenties on yeah. Arrow, um, even as late as the the last season. Um, so yeah, I, I, you could just about get away with it if they're bringing the X Men in as slightly older or I think established it, yeah. characters. I, I think that's a good point. I, I think this this depends. I think we're sitting here assuming uh, that they're going to do this as kind of from uh, from the start, like we did last time, of kind of like kids in school. Mm. Whereas um, they might, if I mean, we talked about this actually, it's a little sidebar, um, how they bring X-Men into the Marvel world. Um, I think it's naive to assume that they sort of pretend like they've been there all along because that's just stupid. Because um, why wouldn't they have jumped into action previously with some of the, the earth-shattering kind of stuff? I wonder whether there's been a lot of discussions through the last few films and obviously with the upcoming slate of films around a multiverse. So my personal thought as a very obvious jumping-off point would be this: they would just be alternate Earth. Um, as such, we might meet them further down the path of uh, becoming X-Men and they might already be X-Men so we, we might be thinking that Iceman doesn't have to be teen he could be mid-20s yeah um, there's, there's a lot to unpack there I realise I dumped a load of <laughs> a lot of well, thoughts the, the, into one sentence t- two of the I guess most prominent fan theories at the moment are that either uh, mutants get created as a result of the Infinity Gauntlet being snapped bunch of times on earth and all the energy that unleashed mutating people mm. i think that's too much of a divergence from the comics where they're meant to be the evolutionary next step in humanity mm. um, yeah yeah or uh they're introduced somewhere else in the multiverse and with doctor strange in the multiverse of madness being one of the upcoming marvel films that could be the first glimpse we get exactly and there's also that sort of, there's a bit of a fanboy suggestion but it's a suggestion that storm would be the jumping off point to bring in uh, through oh, via Black Panther, yeah, through Wakanda, um, basically, yeah. But I, th- I think that would that's kind of jumping into that particular character's uh, story uh, far too far along. Like mm. we, we, it it would require far more knowledge of Storm as a character from the audience going into that film to understand why it's a big deal that they're bringing her in to, you know, potentially be a love interest for T'Challa. True. Uh, Back to my list. Um, I uh, went for Keenan Lonsdale next. Interesting. Um, Obviously last seen playing uh, Kid Flash on The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. Um, So he's got superhero kind of genes. Um... He's 20-something, 28. Um, So for me, he's kind of like in that kind of sweet spot of he still looks younger, um, got the superhero acting sorted, and is LGBT. (laughs) Um, And it would be a bit more um, non-white representation. Yeah, absolutely, yes. In the superhero universe. There's nothing about Iceman's character that necessitates he be Caucasian. And it kind of flows into my second suggestion um, along those sort of lines um, of uh, Justice Smith as well, who, again, we last saw in the po- in the Pokemon Pikachu movie. Um, and again, that comes... He's got good experience of filming on green screen because obviously that's what most of 
uh, Detective Pikachu was if you sort of closed your eyes and pretended it didn't happen. Um, <laughs> and uh, he is 25 even, so he's even younger. So we're, we're getting to that kind of space now, I think, of yeah. potentially good actors. Uh, and again, helping with uh, some POC representation. Mm. I'm not sure with Keenan Lonsdale, though, from, just from some interviews he's given since uh, leaving the Arrowverse shows, yeah. if he's in a point in his career where he wants to do more superhero stuff. Like, a lot of the work Everyone he's done says since that, then Marvel comes along with a massive paycheck <laughs> yeah. and, a, and, a, and, a, and a nice solid contract for 10 years worth of work. And they go, actually, actually, <laughs> you know what I might do? Yeah, I'll, I'll get into that moulded rubber suit again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so my next pick would probably be Tommy Dorfman, mm-hmm. who uh, most people are probably going to know best from uh, 13 Reasons Why on Netflix. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yes, yes, yes. So they're 28, um, so potentially in that slightly older bracket, but charitably, I'd say they look about 14. So... <laughs> Uh, they can definitely play Iceman in that kind of younger X-Man age yeah. group. Um, Dorfman's also got quite a, let's say, slender build, and av- avoid the obvious T-word comparison here. Twink. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, but Iceman in the comics, he's never been this slab of beef like mm. Colossus. I- Iceman's always been one of the the skinnier or slender you know, t- toned but not like hench x-men and uh D- dorfman's got that kind of physique where you know you go through the marvel training program he'd probably put on a bit of muscle but then they're still going to present as you know a slender enough comic accurate look i think they're re- i think they're a really great choice um i think if you if, if you were casting it very much in type um i think they're actually pretty spot on um for that i think the other suggestion in in that kind of vein uh would be troy savan but you might be I going ha- a little well, bit too I, far down the twinkie route to be honest with well, you perhaps but troy savan was my last pick of oh well five. yeah <laughs> okay uh, well, also he's, talking he's about got, troy savan <laughs> well uh you know he's out he's gay he's got uh some priors he played the young james howlett uh aka wolverine in x-men origins not a great film but mm. you know he was you know a kid at the time i'm not going to blame him for that um but th- that'd be a nice little you know pub quiz bit of trivia if he were to play iceman and I just again, I kind of think like Dorfman, he's kind of got the the look. The other thing with Savan is, I think from all the people that we've talked about so far, he's the youngest. He's twenty five at the moment. Yes. So again, well, Justice like, Smith was twenty five as well. Oh, okay. So tie. Um, t- but tied. E- e- either of them would th- you know be able to a- sort of age through the role. Yeah, yeah uh, I think in the I way think- that that marvel would want i think that's the nuts and bolts of it i think although i think some of the people he suggested right at the top that i would probably list on the very obvious categories um as you say of colton haynes or um 
Uh, Chris Evans, his brother Scott Evans, thank you. And I think that's what, and I think that's what Disney's obviously looking for here is people that can age through. Because although I think we said right at the top, obviously our suggestions around Scott Evans, Colton Haynes, etc., were probably what you would probably have on your list of these are nailed on, likely to go straight on the list. Um, they're probably disqualifying themselves automatically um, by being over thirty. Because if you are planning that kind of ten-year leap, they're forty odd before you even you you got to the end of the contract. So. Anyway, I mean, some that, of them, they're forty odd by the time the first film comes out. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously, they don't just cast you and bang you in the film. They'll cast you, and mm. then they'll wait for the right moment to bring you into the films. So yeah, you you could wait, be looking at. Are you saying Disney wants to bang Iceman in the films? Well, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. It's no going to be it's going to be good Disney, uh, healthy, family friendly. They're just going to sit mm. and hold hands if you're lucky. I I also want I, I think. The upcoming Eternals movie is going to be really interesting on this front because that's supposedly going to have the first out overtly gay characters. And but every other bit of on-screen LGBTQ representation that Disney's done in recent years has been very tactically designed that it can be dubbed over or snipped out for more conservative mm. markets. Um, the The most recent example is the Pixar film Onward. There's a a female police officer um, who mentions her girlfriend, uh, but that could easily be dubbed over as her boyfriend or her, her husband in other territories. Yeah, and like, and the, the the beautifully crafted, easily excisable uh, Star Wars kiss, lesbian yeah. kiss in the last Star Wars, exactly the Star Wars mm. kiss, where that they literally must have just filmed it as purely as an insert, and just they might as well have just written cut here, kind of on both sides of the screen. Yeah, sorry, small rant um, about Star Wars, but supposedly. <laughs> supposedly the Eternals characters are you know, overtly, uneditably gay. It'll be interesting to see how much, what, how true that is. Yeah, I mean, that is that is kind of, I think that is going to be the barometer test for all of this. That was some good fantasy casting and some good chat. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. Uh, coming up after the break, I'm talking to David Barry from the Game Academy. Uh, but now it's goodbye to Matt. Bye. Wait, wait, sorry. Let me, let me, let me Alaska find um, that. Bye. <laughs> and we will see you all after the break. Did you know that Gaming Magazine now has a Discord channel? Come and enjoy more chat, gossip, and gameplay with your fellow gamers from around the world. Visit gamingmag.com forward slash Discord to get started. Welcome back. I'm joined by my special guest this week. It's David Barry, who is the co-founder of the Game Academy, a new tech service for the personal development of gamers. David, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, tell me, what's the link between playing games and our careers? Um, well, a huge link, actually, between games and careers. I mean, as you, as you may or may not know, probably through your own gaming skills, you will be intimately attached and, and, and know, know this, that that basically, you know, when you play a game, especially mid and hardcore games, I mean, you're deploying amazing talents at time in like problem solving and leadership and communication. Um, and, you know, we've done quite a lot of research at Game Academy into the relationship between those game, the games you play and the careers which people have subsequently followed. It transpires that if you play games like XCOM or Total War or Football Manager, there are suggestions that you may be more suited or you may end up with 
um, following a career in IT or management um, or, or other careers. And so I, I guess the, the sort of big question is, do you envisage a time where recruiters will ask you in interview about your game library? Oh, my God. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yes, again. <laughs> I mean, if you're going for a job which demands competitiveness, you know, they people should be asking you, but also, you know, kind of, sh- sh- you know, sh- shed your anxiety and shed your, uh, you know, no, no need to kind of hold back is talk about Rocket League. You know, if if um, if people want to know about your skills at uh, kind of leading people, well, you know, don't hold back. You know, tell them about your raids in World of Warcraft. And if you are kind of want, they want to know that you're such a great team worker and all of that. You know, don't faff about with some sort of vague volunteering thing you did in sort of <laughs> upper sixth, which kind of got you off double chemistry. You know, talk about League of Legends and talk about what you've done for your mates in League of Legends when you've taken them, you know, taken them to the next stage. This is an amazing leap, I think, from at the moment, even now, if we as people that prepare our CVs or resumes, if we're listening from America, um, we're always so hesitant to put on the bottom bit where it says about like hobbies. If you if you if you put video games at that point, you can almost hear the recruiter going in the background because it's it's such it still has such negative connotations. So it's amazing to think that we could be actively sort of pushing people to say like, hold your hand up and be proud of being a gamer, and hold your hand up and sort of say like, all these transferable skills are there. Um, you gave a couple of examples just then. Are, are there any other sort of major game examples that have sort of like a, a correlation of skills that are really good for recruiters? I'm just going to pick it up on. I'm going to pick up on your other thought, which is that you know, let's let's do a little roll call list here for a moment. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Reid Hoffman, founder of of LinkedIn. Um, several weeks ago, there was a piece in the New York Times, an interview with um, with the boss of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, right, talking about Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> Zuckerberg, Musk, them all. I mean, they're all kind of you know they are the they are the kind of gods of the modern era and generally considered to be um, you know immensely talented and skillful and framing the whole nature of humanity, skills, work culture life etc now you know they've all talked about their gameplay and they've all attributed their gameplay to particular reasons you know to, to, to why they became computer scientists or how they understood particular aspects of strategy and things like that so so i think that the kind of the moment when we should almost when we make a, a private or we make an assumption which is that when you say you're a gamer that you're that the assumption is is that people are thinking that you're a sort of you know a psychopath um, in the making, <laughs> or, or you are kind of hidden in hidden in a chest of drawers in your room, sort of recovering from your third spliff. I mean, the reality is that I think that's us being kind of oh so humble and and a little bit sort of a, a bit like kind of wake up because the reality is is obviously that that is something which is like a decade ago. Um, so, um, so sorry, that's my rant. But I mean, so, so I think that sort of, you know, to think of oneself as kind of having three arms tied behind your back because you're a gamer, I think is pretty much irrelevant. Um, and, and not relevant, but I mean, it's just, you know, no need, no need. And then the, at the other end, I mean, when I've spoken to companies, um, you know, big companies, FTSE 100 companies, global industrial companies, you know, they get it. 
um, they, you know, they know that they need talent who are used to remote working. They know they need digital first talent. And when you say to them gamers, they don't kind of go and reach for the sort of hand sanitizer <laughs> or, or the kind of brainwash. You know, they basically kind of get it and they go for it and they know it. The, the issue, obviously, is about credentializing gameplay. Mm. Because if you talk about your high scores in Rocket League, that's one thing. But you can't assume that everybody understands Rocket League and knows what it is. Um, you just because you know you can't assume that everybody understands you know the toil of kind of carrying carrying bodies across you know uh, um, you know a, 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 across a landscape you know so so we've got to find ways to credentialize it so people get it and get it simply. There's been some examples early on about um, how the U.S. Army, for example, likes to recruit gamers because of the the dexterity, the reaction speed, the logic processing in their heads. So it, we have started to see like very simple examples but i think what you're talking about is going deeper into uh almost the sort of skill set rather than the physical requirements of a gamer but you're talking about the skill set for everyday jobs like we don't need to be warmongers because we're good at uh fighting games or something it, it's a bit more nuanced than that oh absolutely i mean you know think of think of resource management and the number of games which demand resource management and high skills and resource management and, you know, I've spoken to people, for instance, who, um, you know, people who are like store managers of Tesco Express or, or warehouse, warehouse people, you know, for, 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 for Ikea. Um, and they have an info. They, they say to me, you know, without over egging the egg, so to speak, is that, you know, they, they, they talk about how um, their facility, for instance, handling mega deliveries in the in-bay, whilst everyone else kind of runs for cover because it's like, oh, Christ, you know, what they give, what, what's head office centres now is that, you know, I'm picking up, not picking up and talking to people and they're coming back to me and sort of saying, well, I can actually sort out really simply how all this stuff gets packed in that kind of space. And then they say to me, and you know why? And I say, oh, why? And they say, well, because basically that's what I do in game a lot. You know, I organize logistics and resource management. Um, so, so there are things like that. The, the thing which is like I'm like a sort of child and sweet shop on is, is the kind of um, what the experts rather ponderously describe as sort of synchronous and asynchronous communication, um, which is just, um, you know, is the fact that basically people are leading, as we know, in games like, you know, several conversations in serial and parallel. Um, and um, that, I think, is the real... Is there's a golden egg in there, which is basically is that capacity of gamers to kind of hold foreground conversations, background conversations, conversations about stuff last year, last month, last level, last blah. Um, and, you know, that's where it starts to get really super cool, because basically that's what, you know, the communi communication skills, you know, all of the experts say that communication skills is, is, the, is the passport to the future that capacity to care for one another, talk to one another, collaborate, all those sorts of, all those sorts of things. Um, and gamers and gaming demands that in abandon. I mean, it's just, you know, in abandon. Abandon is the wrong word. In <laughs> spades or whatever you call it. <laughs> I was talking last week on the podcast or the, the last episode, I should say, to uh, Mia, who's one of our favorite streamers. Um, and actually, I, I made that exact reference. So streamers, I, I love watching streamers because the, their ability to play a game deal with what's happening in the game, but also manage the stream of conversation that's coming up on their right-hand side, reacting to stuff happening 
through the stream of people being tipped and whatever else and like you must have like i said to her you must have eyes in the back of your head and it, it is a kind of like you're, you're processing like five different kind of interactions all at the same time and i think when you stop and break it down and you actually realize what a game or what an experience is giving you by way of skill actually it's, it's incomparable like you, you you you've hilariously sort of said around um people in a levels which again translating for our us listeners is kind of like senior high school uh all of our sort of volunteering opportunities like in the uk we have our duke of edinburgh award uh which was meant to be like the the it, it, it was a voluntary scheme that basically tried to skill you up in such a way that it was it was pitched as this golden key to an amazing life and it's like i did my bronze and silver and I wasn't able to navigate around a field, but I'm still really kind of, I'm not sure I use those skills right now. Although, to be honest with you, seeing how pandemic plays out, maybe will. Um, yeah, but, that, but what you're pointing at as well is a slightly Victorian thing, which is yes. that sort of soft skills or essential skills yeah. always seem to come in sort of beige shorts and a funny hat and a set of badges on your lapel. <laughs> um, and it's almost like we're back to sort of, you know, we're sort of back to invading Africa or, or sort of, you know, basically sort of, you know, colonizing a small island. Um, it, it's just bizarre how that you know what you know why does it have to be associated with that kind of version of kind of you know e expressing yourself or, or or being alive? I mean, you know, the reality, obviously, as you know, is that you know you talk to countless people who you know talk to Eve players who kind of you know coordinate or involved in kind of raids with God knows how many um, how many spacecraft. I mean, that's the reality mm. of collaborative collaborative co-working progressive kind of work it isn't you know it isn't a sort of wes anderson movie i mean as much as much as wes anderson yes i was gonna say we, we can't play down wes anderson but no the um <laughs> I, yeah you, you're absolutely right with 21st century modern media uh digital world um but skills around starting fires and tying knots not so relevant um Okay, so I'm sat looking at a game library for me uh, that regular listeners of this show will know is just full of Lego. Um, but it, it's, it's mainly sort of sandbox, open world, exploring life skills, um, Lego and games like Grand Theft Auto, which transferable skills maybe if you are going in one way of a career um and uh red dead 2 for example so for me sandbox open world those sort of things what's my what's my sort of skill set that i could say to somebody uh this is this is what i do well i'm not, I'm not going to look into the crystal ball i'm not i, I wouldn't <laughs> set myself self up as the sort of um as the sort of um uh, uh end of peer kind of uh gypsy rose lee of gaming so i can't i'm not i'm not really sure that i can read your palm <laughs> <laughs> as much as it might be fun to do it i think what i could say and i think it's bleeding the obvious you don't need the resources which we've put together to really know it is that you know sandbox and the whole ethos of sandbox and the whole mode of sandbox and and the whole kind of open world experience is um you know is full of i mean i was talking to um to a sort of a, creative director of a games company of a day and he was talking about it in terms of open world stuff in terms of entrepreneurship mm. um uh, you know the 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 thing which is i mean to to whip an analogy or a metaphor i never quite knew no difference between the two um is um is you know of a long distance of long distance swimming of creating your own water i mean the beauty of an open world game in part is about creating your own narrative creating your own universe creating your own path 
path through this version of meta-reality, what have you. And, oh my God, I mean, the connection to entrepreneurship, huge. Um, I can't really, to be honest, not from the work we've done, we can't really prove that. Mm. Um, but still, if you can understand it instinctively, and if one could communicate the entrepreneurship involved in all of in this, in, in, in in an open world experience, I mean, I think it's there and clear. Which is really interesting, obviously, sitting here as the founder of a magazine and and striving out and, and creating my own business. So I, I think that is in itself fascinating that that sort of tally, uh, tallies, I should say. Um, I think it probably does. I mean, I th- I'm, I'm sure sure there's a massive relationship between the two and in terms of sandboxes well i'm i'm not going to get too detailed on it but what i will tell you which is obvious and you will well, you may not know but you know there are plenty of architects around who have been brought up on minecraft mm. and who use minecraft for visualizing and engaging the public uh, with the built environment um you know and and there are other and there are other things as well that's really interesting um you mentioned in that last answer about the sort of the technical side of Game Academy. So let's just dig into that for two seconds. Where the real sort of technical, how does the system analyze and, and how have you set it up to be able to sort of say, if you do this, you get this, or if you, or if you play these games, you broadly are in this sort of skill tree? Well, I mean, that's I defer to my honourable friend um, on the left who can't be seen, but who is not here either, because <laughs> he's in a basement somewhere. Um, is that is our immense data scientist who is a kind of RPG aholic, um, Andre, um, who, who 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 claims to have completed seventy RPGs. I'm not sure whether that's humanly possible, but I'm sure it possibly is. I would defer to his better. Anyway, so um, he's worked magic. I mean. Forgive me for my completely unscientific response to your question, <laughs> um, and completely ignoring your requirement. It's that um, it's that it's, it's, it's basically he's he, he's worked some sophistry, which is to do with, I mean, there was an open Steam data set from several years ago, which provides insight into basically people's gaming profiles and what Andre managed to do um, with uh, with just you know, you, immense kind of statistical kind of classiness. Is basically find correlations between um, the uh, the Steam profiles and then what people in those Steam pro- profiles have subsequently done in your careers, uh, subsequently did in their careers. So so basically um, found found correlations between the two, and we've subsequently built that, been building that data set up, um, which is basically what people have pursued in game, and what people have pursued in life and found correlations between the two and probabilities with enormous amount of statistical management and statistical computation is basically find relationships between those. At the moment, you know, in the end, it it's, will be part of a, you know, more of a bigger AI system. At the minute, it's just immense kind of statistical analysis and statistical management. So you just said about obviously the future being kind of AI related. Um, Tell me then, uh, for sort of Game Academy, what is its, what is your vision of it? What is the role of it, and how will people interact with it? So, if somebody wanted to be part of the process, um, is, is it through Steam? Is it through an app they download? How how what is the sort of vision for Game Academy? Well, in the near term, we're working towards um, a mobile and a web app in which you'll be able to share if you're prepared to share your Steam or or PlayStation or other profile is that we will give you by return um, an unusual a report which is an unusual insight into your game skills, um, which doesn't you know t- 
talks about your achievements in game, but more importantly, it translates it into real life. Um, the dream, which will become reality, is that we become, in effect, a kind of an essential, what we describe as a sort of sidecar companion for gamers that are integrated into platforms and into games. You know, yes, um, yes, we want to be that kind of personal development tool for gamers. And yes, we also want to be able to provide gamers with a, a new route to work or educational opportunities. You know, but then also at the same time, the huge excitement is to be able to build a community of completely and utterly super talented gamers. Um, and then who knows what we might be able to achieve with that. You know, that might be that we can help gamers, obviously priority, help gamers towards careers. But also I do wonder, you know, what, what drives me and what drives so many of our team is basically is, what does that mean? You know, what could we do if we had that immense talent pool? You know, we could actually do an immense amount of stuff where we might be able to recirculate some of the, the profits which other companies might make from your labor back into the gamer community itself. But, but that's a long way away. Um, you know, it, 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 but it, that's, that's where we want to head up and end up um, as being, you know, an essential tool for gamers, integrated into platforms and into games, and an immense talent pool which people come knocking on, knocking on our door, um, and so we don't have to be. So gamers don't have to be like supplicants at the gate and be anxious about whether they can talk about what they do as a hobby or what have mm -hmm. you, and. Can't, don't need to worry about it, you know, the people that are taking it a bit too seriously. Just, just bloody go for it um, and enjoy it and love it and share it. And so we're providing those means. I was going to ask as well about how um, are you doing anything with the industry by way of like not the games industry, but the wider industry and recruiters uh, to try and inform them of this process is like this is something you should be looking out for. Uh, yes, but I mean, it's, you know, it's doing, we're a startup, you know, mm. so there's like, the list is endless, the nights are endless, um, the, you know, it's, 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 you know, all of that. Um, the answer is yes. So, um, you know, I'm super keen to talk to the games industry, and I have been talking to the games industry about finding ways in which we might access and survey their user bases, their users, to be able to understand more about their association with the game, their association with how they play the game and and their lives their working lives or their non-working lives um, um and you know we're looking to build those relationships and are starting to build those relationships recruiters yeah ditto mm. talking to them sharing with them listening to them listening to their positiveness listening to their reservations and not really quite sure what we're talking about and understanding how you know to what extent we need to you know as i said before you know is is you we, 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 what are we going to how are we going to translate these game skills because you know quite often as you know I mean you don't play one game you play six games so how are we going to bundle that all up into something whereby someone can go yeah yeah I get that I get that I get that invite them in for an interview um, so so yeah the answer is yes yes uh, you know games companies companies in the real world recruiters I mean we're kind of all over it um but the reality is, is that that back end element of what we're doing is 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 is, is to come is to come quite mm. soon, but but not not quite now. The um, 
the games world, video games in general, we've talked about this a little bit already, um, gets a really, really bad reputation, is constantly being smacked down in the media about being a really negative thing. This is an, a great example of the kind of games for good column. Um, th do you see it as a way of pushing back against a lot of this kind of video game negativity? and see it pushing back against these like reports that come out about how video games are terrible for chi for children and encouraging gambling and whatever else. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think this is, I mean, there's a lot of tech, there's, you know, the tech for good sector is amazing. Um, it's quite often um, about seeing the real world through the prism of a game. So for instance, there might be like, you know, um, there is, you know, in the tech for good space, there's like, as you know, um, um, you know, kind of role playing, you know, dealing with a pandemic or, or, or running a kind of, you know, running a post-apocalyptic, you know, a government in a post-apocalyptic kind of age or, or saving elephants and rhinos and all that kind of thing. Um, we're slightly different, I guess, well, not a guess, I know, is that what we see is that it's about the well-being of the gamer. Well-being, much maligned word, you know, truth, beauty, you know, and motherhood and apple pie, well-being, blah, blah, blah. I think what we're about is, is about that well-being bit. I think what we're about, and forgive me for my arrogance or conceit, is I think we might be, might be, <laughs> a, a first wave of where, where there are tools being put out there um, and being developed, bits of software which start to engage with pr improving the well-being of the gamer or saying, hey, this is about your human. This is about you as a human. Um, we're here to help you. Um, so, so we are part of the tech for good space, but we are part of a kind of a different sort of a thing. Um, and um, and so, but, I mean, of course, you know, our motivation is entirely. I mean, you just have to. I mean, I talk to so many gamers who are, who are, you know, not toxic, <laughs> you know, who are not kind of, you know, the cliche, you know, who are just who love gaming live for gaming um, and see the value in it um, and in a funny way though just don't necessarily feel like they can share it and I guess what we're doing is being a channel to, to share it so yeah I mean we're part of all of the tech for good space but we're also sort of a slightly new thing and your background personally is in media and uh, social ventures um, is that kind of what inspired you to make the leap into this kind of games for good space or I guess I'm saying, were you a gamer already or is it more of an opportunity to see how gamers uh, work in that space in kind of a, from a social point of view? Well, speaking personally, so our team is full of gamers and, um, and totally full, 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 full. Um, from my point of view, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just I'm obsessed with hidden talent, really, um, pretty much in everything I've ever done. So, so I come to this as basically on the theme of hidden talent. I hate it when I, when I've met people in the past, and and you say, oh, what do you do? Well, I don't do very much. What are you good at? Well, not very, not good at very much. You know, I, I almost. I remember once someone telling me all that and sort of giving me a sort of, you know, like, oh, no, 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 no. okay. Then I said, well, let's have a cup of tea. Let's go. Let's go to your house, have a cup of tea, and talk about it more. Oh, okay, well, it's good. And then you kind of, I remember so clearly walking into their house, and they say. I, and I look through the window and I say, what's, what's going on in the garden there? And they say, oh, it's just my garden. You know, you don't want to see that, do you? Oh, yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see the garden. And I remember so clearly going to the garden. It was like the fucking hanging gardens of Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> it was a coal miner's house in Castleford in West Yorkshire. The most beautiful thing. 
the most the greatest piece of handicraft, and that's never left me, which is basically about how people kind of say, mm, "I'm not good for anything." I lack, and then it's like, and then somewhere in their life is something which is just immense as an expression of their talent. And so, personally, my motive—that's where I come to all of this. Um, the other dimension, and I'll sorry, I sound like a bad Radio 4 program, is that I've worked quite a lot in places which are kind of broken, where people don't talk to one another, or there's, you know, uh, the rich people are dissociated from the poor people, you know, the the goths are, you know, are, are separated from the sort of neo-goths, or, or me as the post-punker are sort of thought to be too art school, and just too sort of dodgy and metrosexual to sort of deal with the sort of hardcore lot, you know, at the front at the damned concert in God knows what year. But, um, um, and, and so I'm just also very keen on communities of interest where there's shared communities of interest, where you can leave your baggage at the mm. door. And, and gaming is just beautiful for all of that, is that capacity to basically, that you couldn't really quite give a shit about actually who they are and where they are and that they're from Greenland or they're this or that and the other and that actually what you want to do is that the capacity to sort of uh, leave all the baggage at the door yeah. and then come together and play together or, or or play against one another I mean yeah that's yeah. that is literally for me I think what I've what's always inspired me about when we first started talking and what we first found out about all this was the fact that video games are always seen this maligned thing whereas actually they're stuffed full of skills and I think people who don't necessarily realize that themselves as players, um, they can take so much from this. They can get so much insight. And I think it's a, a really, really good opportunity. Um, finally, you and have... It's also, a safe, it's also finally, it's also yes. a safe... I should shut up, but it's also a safe space. Absolutely. You know, yeah, in, yeah. In, an age, in an age when public space is not safe, yeah? Yeah. And also in an age where, you know, politics is not necessarily, doesn't necessarily create comfortable places and spaces in which you can express yourself mm. and also join in with one another. Do it in game, you know, in a, games are a safe space. I mean, of course, they're toxic and of course, they've got all the, the, all the hideousness of humanity around. But also equally, they are an immersive space where you can express yourself and you can do stuff which you may not feel sufficiently confident to do in the outside world absolutely and and we obviously exist as gaming to sort of carve out that space for lgbt people and i think what you said about going into games leaving uh your baggage at the door is a great way of developing skills wherever you are in whatever way that you feel you want to do that and i think that's a really really great thing um finally you have a virtual boot camp coming up uh tell me and the listeners more about that I'd love to, as a child, have been. If someone said to me, "Draw a virtual boot camp," <laughs> yes. what would look? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to COVID nineteen land. <laughs> so, I'll, yeah. So, listen. So, yes. No. Absolutely. So, so um, we start registration um, next week. Registration opens for our boot camp, um, and you know what we what we our boot camp is really designed to sort of basically help help gamers start to understand their real-world talent um, based upon their gameplay, what we've been speaking about, and sharpen some of those essential skills, you know, which are vital to have a successful future in work. So what we're doing is it's across two, it'll run across two weeks, September 10th to September 24th. It'll feature um, 
basically our groundbreaking skills and our analytics tool, um, in-game and out-of-game challenges, uh, playing sessions, interviews with gamers who have been successful in business and industry, and also we've, we've lined up some key experts from the world of education and work to share their sort of their knowledge and their insight um, and their you know their pearls. It's free. There will be some paid options, um, which is basically for us to to also to understand understand whether people will pay and what people will pay for. But they're free with some paid options, um, and yeah, it's an opportunity basically to 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 start to color this in and start to experience it. And if people want to register for it, so I'm sounding almost like the sort of man man on the orange crate, um, sort of saying, roll up, roll up. So with my Barnum hat on, <laughs> um, I would love it if people could join us, honestly. It'd be really, really interesting. They'll get a lot out of it. Um, to, regist to register for it, they need to just, e at the moment, just email me, which is david at gameacademy.com, .co and just send me, you know, register to say, hey, hi, I'm interested in, in, in signing up. Don't send me, you know, just send me nice things <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, hi, I want to sign up. Um, and um, then also people, if they would like to know more and already join in, we would absolutely adore it, is that they should just sign up for our Discord and also, we're on, we, we've got a big group in Discord, which is which is just amazing. And then um, and then a night and then a kind of thing happening on Facebook, so they can find us on Facebook as well. Brilliant. Um, the boot camp, really quickly. How is it hosted? Like, what platform is it going to be on? Is it virtual? Oh, obviously, it's virtual. But is it on your Discord? Is it going to be videos or am I? Um, good, good question. No, so it's a it's a it's a combination. It's a combination of Discord, uh, YouTube, and um, and a kind of web and a webinar. Great, perfect. Um, those links are going to be available on Gaming Magazine on the article that is about this podcast. So you don't have to remember anything. Just head over to Game Magazine to find this article, and the links are within there. David, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been amazing. Um, that thank is you. I've loved it. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. It's been really cool, and I think it's an absolutely amazing thing. I really hope people get a lot out of it. Uh, and like I say, go and check out Game Magazine for more information. That is the end of our episode. Uh, a big thank you to my guests, Matt and David, and an even bigger thank you to you all for listening. We are going to be back in two weeks with our next episode. But in the meantime, keep up with all the LGBTQ video gaming stories on Gaming Magazine. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so you don't miss any of these amazing stories. We are at Gaming Mag. Take care, see you soon, and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>